Mention David and Uriah, and people have to think a moment. Mention David and Bathsheba, though. Oh, all kinds of things come to mind. We'll take a look at both of them next on Truth For Today. When it comes to 2 Samuel chapter 11, just about everybody knows it's a story about adultery and how bad it is. Meanwhile, Uriah gets the blunt end of the deal. He gets murdered by David. And that's what we're looking at today, the whole story and the rest of the story. It's Fatal Attraction, 2 Samuel chapter 11 style, here on Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Let's catch up with Pastor Phil as we continue our series on the life of David here on Truth For Today. If I'm thrown into environments in this worldly journey that I don't necessarily even choose, but it's loaded with seduction, loaded with adultery, loaded with eyes of adultery, I'm on my guard, I'm cautious. What I'm not on guard is going to a workplace every day where I find myself dressing to please the woman that's the secretary. The psychological attachment to the man that you're now dressing and acting and looking over your shoulder for his approval and sharing with him what you're not sharing with your husband. You get it in church life. Oh, we were working together in the department doing the Lord's work. Or in the pastor's counseling, I just brought my problem. I was frustrated in my marriage. And all of a sudden he said, you know what? I'm frustrated too. And something just drew us together in our common need. And the next thing we knew it, we did something we never dreamed. It's repeated thousands, if not millions of times a day. And what is God doing looking on? Well... The circumstances were neutral enough, but they become the pivotal turning point. David's life reaches its crescendo at chapter 10. It will now, the rest of Samuel, be rather depressing. Because it will be the unraveling and disintegration of a man that opened a bottle of arsenic in his family tree and it begins to kill. Well, what were the choices that he made? What were the uh, choices that he made that ruined him? Number one, he chose to be his own God. I'll make the decision. When there's a beautiful woman, God, I'm in charge. Whether it's chapter 3, chapter 5, or chapter 11. If I want a woman, nothing stops me. And God's never got it before because he never stole a woman up to now. He never had to kill a man to get another man's wife. But now unguarded sensuality and lust breaks over the boundaries. And now he'll go after any man's wife. This is a man after God's own heart. This is a man God chose to lead his people Israel. It's like the youth worker. They, someone asked him, how's your youth group? He said, everybody's saved from the waist up. Nobody's saved waist down. They never get enough God to affect what they do with their genitals. They never get enough God to determine what they do with their sexuality. Anything goes, and you can sing the hymns on Sunday. And David now says, I'm the sovereign of Israel. I know Yahweh. And when it comes to this part of my life, it's unguarded. It's unyielding. I will get what I want when I want. 
And God doesn't even exist when I'm pursuing a woman. Throughout the chapter, you see the verb sin, sin. It's, it's, Eugene Peterson underscores it. It just shows you David's in charge. He's in charge. Man, he's the king. He's the sovereign. But what he has forgotten is there's another sovereign over the earthly sovereign. And this sovereign will have the last word. He chose to pursue lust instead of fleeing it. He, he calls for her. She comes. There were plenty of escape routes. He, he could have got out of it. Plenty. I mean, he had access. He had what was in the Orient every working man's dream. A lot of wives. You didn't have them because you couldn't afford them. It was a symbol of power. It was a symbol of royalty. Uh, as a whole, it was a monogamous culture. Saul was a, a monogamous. Deuteronomy 17 said, Kings of Israel don't have a bunch of wives. David ignored it and his son Solomon multiplies it. He didn't flee in this area. He chose to cover up what he should have confessed. Think of it. When he finds out she's pregnant, he solicits the husband, come and visit with the king. Oh, it's so good to have you. How are the troops doing? How is the battle? He acts like his motive is he's so concerned about the battle on the field, but he's covering up the sin of the palace. And uh, this man is so noble, he said, I can't sleep with my wife when I realize the troops are on the front. So David ups the ante the next night, he gets him drunk. You know, if a suggestion don't work, get enough wine in him, we can get him to sleep with her. The next night, drunk. But he said, I know where I'm sleeping tonight. In my, David's mind, I'm thinking, he's thinking, you're not making it easy for me to cover up. Then he sends his own death warrant in the hands of Uriah. And Joab reads it. Put him where he could be killed easily. And he dies. All over. It's all done. Now we could go on. The Lord sent Nathan. David didn't send Nathan. He knocked on the prophet's door and says, I've got an assignment. You're the prophet pastor of the king. I want you to go down and talk to him. And I can imagine the prophet says, will I come out of this alive? We don't know. So he walks in and does a masterful job of confrontation. He begins telling a parable. And a parable is meant to be a window. And then it becomes a mirror that we see ourselves. And he says, David, I, I, I want to tell you something. A rich man had so many sheep and cattle. And he lived next door to a poor man that had one sheep. The family pet that they fed. And the language is, he even slept. They cuddled it. It's almost intimate language. Like the language between a man and a woman. And a traveler just happened to come in to see the rich man. And because of his greed and stinginess... He wouldn't dare get one of his half-loved sheep. He didn't love his sheep like the neighbor. There were just so many sheep. He had so much. He wouldn't do it. Go take the family pet. Kill it. Let's serve this man lamb tonight from a neighbor's field. David hears that story. 
He becomes so angry, the man deserves to die, making payback fourfold that the law required. He was angry when he saw the sin of another, but he remained blind to his own. He's still blind. Because the story is this way. Two men, David and Uriah. David has many wives, many women. Uriah had one wife. And she was like a pet lamb to him. He loved her. The intimacy of his life was shared with her. She was dear. There's nothing in the narrative to say they didn't have a splendid marriage. If they had a Proverbs 5 marriage, a Song of Solomon marriage, they had marital love in its ecstatic form. They had a wonderful, and it's, I've only got one. And greed, and lust, and sin, and plain God says, I'm going to take her. I'm not satisfied with what I got. I'm taking her. And the traveler that came by was temptation. And the traveler is so subtle. He comes to the rich man's house and says, All I want to do is have some fellowship and sweet pleasure with you. And sin in the Bible is often described as a feast. He said, The whorish woman eats and wipes her mouth and says, I did nothing wrong. He says that Lady Folly calls for a feast in Proverbs 9. Lady Wisdom says a feast. Sin started with eating the wrong thing. All the way back to Genesis. The traveler just wants a meal. Sets innocent enough. Temptation will come to you all so innocently. And up front when you open the door, all you will see is pleasure Enjoyment, what sin always hides is consequences. You never know what it will cost you to eat that fruit. So the traveler comes by and he tells him the story. And David is angry and it's got him upset. And in the midst of this heat, I, I, who is the man? Who is the man? You're the man. I'm talking to you, David. God sent me to tell you, you're the man. You're the thief. You're the robber. You become a liar. You become a deceiver. You become a murderer. You become an adulterer. And you're acting like you're an atheist. You act like God doesn't run the king of Israel. You don't make the rules, David. God makes them. He said, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. You've broken all the commandments. It's you, David. I'm not here for you to grade my sermon. I'm not here for you to grade the preacher or to grade the prophet. I'm talking to you. Hear me well. There is too much sermon listening in this country where nobody takes it to heart that God's talking to them. We're grading the choir. We're grading the music. Let me tell you, God's talking to you and me. This is not some book you set in judgment on. This book sets in judgment on you. You are not in charge of the book, nor the God of the book. You can sing in the choir and be sleeping with the wrong man and say, God, it's none of your business. You need to get saved, get right, or get out. God will expose you, David. He knows what you're watching on the internet. He knows the woman you're undressing on the job. He knows how much flirting and tempting and playing 
with sexual innuendo, and you think it's all a cat and mouse game. God sees it. It's wicked. He's going to expose you in time. If you're not a believer, he may not expose you. You can get away with anything if you're not saved. It's just when you know God, he's going to expose the saints. Because he tracks his sheet down. He chose to kill a man he should have honored. Now, what's the consequences of this action? First thing, it says God, at the end of chapter 11, was displeased. It displeased the Lord. You go to chapter 12, and you pick up verse 9. Why did you despise the word of the Lord? Verse 10, you've despised me, God. The word displeased meant evil, misery, but it was used of inflicting injury. And he's saying, David, why did you injure me with your choice? It, it, it hurts me that you would choose a woman over me, over my will for you. Why did you do an evil that injures me or grieves me? You've hurt me with your sin. God is never passive to the sin of his children. He takes it personal. And then he says, why have you despised the word of God? Why have you despised the Lord? And the root of this word in the Hebrew is to raise the head loftily and disdainfully. And it is like a, when you're a God, you can disdain God. He's playing God. Why have you despised me? Why have you acted like uh, you owe me nothing? Get out of here, God. Get out of here. When I want to sin, get out of here. I disdain you. And he says, you have hurt me deeply, David. What you did. Other oriental kings can do whatever they want, but I chose you to be a man after my own heart. I brought you from chasing a bunch of ragtag sheep, and I put you on a throne. I saved you from Saul. I saved you at Agilom. I saved you from Goliath. I saved you from the Philistine. David, is this the way you repay me? Some of you, where were you when God found you? In the midst of your drugs, in the midst of a divorce, in the midst of the pain of sin, and then we come down here and we forget we've been washed, as Peter says. We forget we've been cleansed. And we start dabbling with the very stuff that had us in bondage when God found us. He is confronted by God's servant. And he tells him the parable. And when you're confronted, uh, you know what goes along with this confrontation. David was caught. He never came clean on his own. I see a lot of folks, uh, they've been caught. They haven't been honest. God sent Nathan to find them. They didn't get to say, they never would have said, I don't think David, if the way the narrative goes, he never would have told anybody if he could have. I can handle this. I know how to sin and cover up the tracks. And God says, you're caught. Because I sent a prophet that wasn't even up there, didn't know it. But when I've got prophets and when I've got the word of God, I could read you a million years in eternity on what you did. Nathan, you go tell him he's the man. Who do you think you are that you can escape God catching you? But see, if you don't believe anything is sin, and if you don't believe God is God, you think you can play fast and loose and still be religious. You can. You can religiously go to hell. For there will be people who say, Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? And they say, I never did know you. You did a lot of religion. You cast out demons, heal the sick. But when you get there, don't call me Lord because I don't own you. That's a scary thing to think a man can leave this world to the next world still claiming to know God and God not knowing them. 
That's a scary, scary passage. Uh, he's caught. He's chasing. God tells him, I'm going to do two things. You killed, I'm going to kill fourfold in your family. He's going to kill the baby. He's going to kill uh, Amnon. He's going to see that Absalom's killed and Adonijah's killed. He loses four sons. You kill one man, I want to kill four of yours. Do you like sex? You like sexual disgrace to the, and cause the enemies of Israel to blaspheme? I'm going to see that one of your own kind cast a tent when you flee the city of Jerusalem. And he's going to have sex with your harem and disgrace you in front of all the nation and bring a rent between you and Absalom that can never be healed. He says the sins of the fathers are sometimes visited up to the third generation. He finally says, I've sinned. And we'll deal with that in detail next week. Let me close by saying what Tozer said. The first step down for any church is taken when it surrenders its high opinion of God. Low opinion of God always elevates human opinion. That's why worship around here. It's not tempo. It's not what we sing. It's not exuberance. It's when you take God seriously. When you tremble at his word. To this man will I look to him who's of a humble and a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Let's say the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. Isaiah 57. Emily Dickinson wrote a poem that goes this way. Crumbling is not an instance act. A fundamental pause. Dilapidations processes are organized decays. Tis first a cobweb on the soul, a cuticle of dust, a borer in the axes, an elemental rust. Ruin is formal, devil's work, consecutive and slow. Fail in an instant no man did. Slipping is crass's law. A moment of sex in a lifetime of caring for a child. A one night stand and AIDS. One night of ecstasy and you drive home under the influence of the drug and you kill somebody you never meant to kill. A snort, then a habit, then danger, then divorce, then death. F.B. Meyer said one brief spell of passionate indulgence and then his character blasted irretrievably. His peace vanished. The foundations of his kingdom imperiled. The Lord displeased. And great occasion given to his enemies to blaspheme. Over one night, one sin, one woman that started a whole chain reaction. Oh, how powerful lust of any kind is. Is your heart deceiving you today? Are you playing God in some situation? You're playing too close to the fire, too close to the edge. God's told you to flee it and you're living on the edge. You're playing with that woman. You're playing with that lust. You're secretly gambling over the internet. You're running up to Reno. You're saying you're just going up there for fun, but you're watching playgirls half-dressed and you're gambling God's money. Are you playing with sin? Who do you think you are that you will survive its magnetic pull and soon it will have you like the bait has the fish or the bear trap and you're caught? You say, I don't know how I ever got here. You got there because you didn't flee and you didn't fear God. And in a moment of insanity, we forget God exists. Give me what I want and I'll pick up God later. Are you living with a cover-up right now? 
Have you been living in adultery with someone? Are you having sex with some woman on the job? Are you having sex with some magazine? The church is full of dirtiness. We've become a dirty, dirty, filthy culture. Pastor Rollins gave me an article that was talking about the effect of internet on pastors. And since the internet explosion, I forget the exact statistics, but I believe it was 30% plus of pastors of frequent internet pornography. So if that's true, three out of every ten preachers has been looking at a naked woman before he preaches on Sunday. And we wonder why no one preaches on holiness. Nobody's living holiness. We wonder why nobody warns. Don't, you can't warn about what you're doing. Wonder why no one's praying. You can't pray when you're in sin. The Lord will not hear me if I'm in sin. Where's the power? You get this. You, you've got to have a little gray hair, live long enough to see the church culture change in our youth group to get kids that are serious about the word and know how to worship besides fun and games. It's a great battle in the culture. When I grew up, when you went to youth camp, we sang with as much gusto as the adults. We, were, we heard as much about holiness and godly living as anybody else. Now, we, what's holiness? What's sin? My mom and dad do pot every night and watch anything they want on the TV and cuss like sailors. What's sin? And we wonder why the spirit is grieved in our churches and we've got to keep coming up with new methodologies because the old spirit's left. He left the temple like he did Israel. If you move in idols, I move out. You move in sin, I become the aggrieved, quenched God that no longer does among this group what I did do. Now, don't you kid yourself. Hear me well. The Methodists never planned to go liberal, but they did. The Presbyterians just passed that you can now ordain a homosexual to be your pastor. They just passed. Don't tell me John Calvin and the Scott Presbyterians ever dreamed of this day. Don't tell me Charles Wesley ever thought a Methodist could be a homosexual and deny the Bible and be in the pulpit. They're all over the land. We're the minority and a culture that is so far from God and feels comfortable because they've learned to tolerate everything God hates. And God says, I will find you, David, if you're mine. And I'm going to educate you. When you, make, when you play God and make your own rules, the price you pay will be more than you ever dreamed. I ask you, are you a person today that's a child of God and you're in sin? You're in good company. David was in sin. But how much do you have to lose to get back? Why don't you just hear the prophet's message? David never could get rid of the consequences. He just could get right. And today, God would like to do something mighty and powerful through the saints in this church if we'll take him serious enough to be on the right side of sin and the right relationship with the Spirit. I was telling the music ministry, Pastor Rodriguez had me speak at a music thing the other night, and the thing that hit me, 90% of our battle in church work is being on the right side of sin and right with the Spirit. We'll figure out the rest. If you're right with God and you're right about sin, You'll be amazed at what God can do with the rest of us. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard, the ministry of Valley Bible Church here in Hercules.
Thank you for joining us today. It's our prayer that our time together here on Truth For Today encourages you in your walk and relationship with Christ. As we close out our broadcast, we would also like to invite you to contact us if you have a question about the broadcast, a prayer request. Maybe you'd like to order a copy of today's broadcast. We do have them available. Simply contact us and let us know of your interest. You can reach us at 855-833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. You are also welcome to write to us. Our address is 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue. We're here at Suite 278, Hercules, California. Zip code is 94547. Now, another way to contact us and learn more about us would be to visit our website, valleybible.org. It's there that we have all kinds of information about who we are, what we believe, directions to the church, service times, and we also have a lot of resource material stored there as well. Simply go to valleybible.org and spend some time exploring our website, finding out about us a bit more. If you would like to become a TFT sustainer, we would love to hear from you. This broadcast is aired daily here on KFAX as we are able to partner with you, our listeners, financially. Now, as a TFT sustainer, you'll receive a quarterly newsletter, a once-a-year special gift. Take a break with Pastor Phil. Our weekly video devotional is available to you as well. And again, it's all as a TFT sustainer. When you contact us with your gift of any amount, we'll sign you up. 855-833-9864 or valleybible.org. Or you can write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. God bless.